One of our listeners, Rita Basit, called us with a story that's the stuff of nightmares. It was about her teenage son. So my son had actually gotten a job and opened his own checking account for the first time. He also got a debit card. And not long after, these letters started arriving at their house. And I had seen envelopes come in the mail repeatedly that looked to me like they were overdraft notices. And I just kept giving them to him for a little while. And then eventually, being a mom, I just opened one. And he was overdrawn, really overdrawn. Like hundreds of dollars overdrawn. Okay, so then what was, what was going on? Well, as it turns out, we sat down at the computer and I still to this day don't understand why my son didn't stop me before we sat down at the computer and started investigating because he clearly had to know what was overdrafting that account. So Rita sat shoulder to shoulder with him at the family computer and started going through the transactions. And that's when she spotted two monthly charges that were consistently overdrafting the account. And I'm asking about what these things are. And he really wasn't helping me. Like, I couldn't understand why he wasn't saying much. And I'm looking and I'm like, what is this? Do you know what this is? And I suddenly realized that one of these things is MrSkin.com. And it's $30 (laughs) a month. (laughs) So Mr. Skin is an adult dish website that compiles nude videos of celebrities from movies they were in. So, you know, he didn't have to fast forward through all the boring parts. So he then admits to me that the other one is just a flat out porn website that you pay another $30 a month for. So $60 a month for porn. As a parent, I'm conflicted because A, I can't believe this is what's overdrafting the account. And to be perfectly honest, I'm also upset because Porn is free. You don't have to pay $30 a month, you know? You're like, what are you doing? Yes. I'm sure the people making the porn appreciated getting paid for their work, even if his mom didn't. Her 16-year-old son was mortified. I mean, no 16-year-old boy wants to sit down at the computer and talk to his mom about the porn he's buying, and under any circumstance. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrifying. It is for both of us, honestly. It wasn't my idea of a good day that day either. I'm Rima Jerez, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. It is Halloween, and once again, we have asked y'all to tell us your money horror stories. This time, we're bringing you listener stories about good investments that backfired, like giving your hormonal teenage son a debit card. Our first story is yet another teen who thought she found the deal of a lifetime. Am I original? Yeah. Am I the only one? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You can sing. Okay. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Becky Harrison was a freshman in high school when the blonde boy with a big smile got his hooks into her. He was popular. He could sing. I had to have Nick Carter. He was the Backstreet Boy, you know? We were territorial over whose Backstreet Boy was whose. It was 1996, and Becky and all her friends were obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. They collected the T-shirts, knew the dance moves, traded posters and cutouts. Every inch of my walls were plastered 
in pictures of the Backstreet Boys. She and her friends competed over who could score the best merch. But there weren't a lot of places to shop in a small North Carolina town. So it was a huge deal when one day she was sitting in her family's den on their new computer with dial-up internet, remember 1996, and... I discovered this cool new website called eBay. Believe it or not, eBay in 1996 did exactly what eBay does now, just with bad fonts. And it was like the world had opened to me because now all of a sudden there's this place on the computer where if you can imagine it, you can find it. Right away, she searched Backstreet Boys, and the results were incredible. There were VHS tapes of them rehearsing, posters she'd never seen before, new T-shirts. But Becky knew she wanted something that her friends would definitely notice. She clicked through dozens of pages, and then she found it. These CDs that were laser cut to look like the Backstreet Boys. So... (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So the CDs were shaped into the Backstreet Boys' yes. face? Or? Yes, their, their bodies. She could already imagine showing up at that lunch table, wowing her friends. These CDs would be the soundtrack to sing-alongs and choreographed dances. Starting bid was $50. But Becky, she was determined to make them hers. I did chores. I babysat a kid from down the street. Every night I would count my money stash to see how close I was. And after a couple of weeks and a little help from her parents, Becky finally had the 50 bucks. I dialed up that internet and I remember praying, God, don't let somebody else have bought these out from underneath of me. Shockingly, they were still there. So she bid, she won, and she was stoked. Becky checked the mail every day for weeks. When finally, a box landed on her porch. I could have flown. I was so excited picking up that package. I just knew that this was my whole reputation in one bag in my hands. I opened the bubble wrap and inside I saw this clear, plain, generic CD case. Inside were five shiny CDs shaped like Nick, AJ, Kevin, Brian, and Howie's perfect faces. And I put in the one of Nick. And I closed the lid on my CD player and pressed play. She didn't know what she'd hear first. Maybe Backstreet's Back or a deep cut like Larger Than Life. Instead of hearing music or anything, I hear... (gasps) And so I panic, thinking that I'm going to ruin this $50 CD or my CD player. And I hit the button to open the lid on my CD player... But I'm in such a panic that I pull it up forcefully Mm. and break the lid off of my CD player. Oh, no. It snapped right off. And looking down at the CD and Nick Carter's floppy blonde hair, it didn't seem so glamorous anymore. It was like a sticker that was just on a piece of plastic. And that piece of plastic was a CD. Each CD was laser cut around a sticker of a different Backstreet Boy. And when you cut a CD like that, probably means there was no way to actually read the music on there. I felt so disappointed. Like, 10 minutes ago, I loved this. 10 minutes ago, this was my world. But now I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, these are not very cool. And I've just spent 
$50 on them. Becky had imagined showing up at school, the only girl in North Carolina with these one-of-a-kind CDs. And now she just felt embarrassed. And I'm looking around my room, seeing these pictures, thinking, oh gosh, those might not be very cool either. She never even told her friends. And after that, her fire for the boys died down. They were no longer larger than life. And really, that's a thing that happens a lot when we're kids. We get obsessed, then disillusioned, and it hurts. At least until the next obsession rolls around. I hate to admit this, but as much hate as I gave Justin Timberlake, I just listened to his music yesterday. What? You switched teams. (laughs) I did. I did. Coming up after the break, a horror story from adulthood. All right, so for the rest of the episode, I'm going to hand it off to our producer, Peter Balanon-Rosen. He's got a story that's about money, but it's also a story about society's expectations and how they can get in the way of a relationship. All right, here's Peter. So a few weeks ago, I spoke with our listener, Manesh Patel. And before I jump into his story, I should warn you, I have been watching a lot of horror movies lately. And talking to Manesh, I couldn't help but feel like his experience was like a series of horror films tied together. Like how his whole life, he's been followed by this one message. In fact, you could say it's like the 1999 movie, The Haunting. I just remember hearing time and time again about the man cuts the checks and brings it home. I just remember being raised on it. And this idea that the man was responsible for taking care of his family, that would pop up throughout his life, like at his wedding. We had a traditional Hindu ceremony. We handed the priest our vows because he was going to read them, which is tradition. And when the priest read Manesh's vows out loud, he added a line. He said, whatever gains happen in the house are because of the wife, but any losses are because of the husband. In other words, any bad decisions and any poor decisions and any ill luck comes from me, the male. I kind of looked at him like, what are you smoking? I didn't say that. Yeah, he never wrote that in his vows. But years later, this idea would emerge again. Like Freddy Krueger in a dream in 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. It was 2007. Manesh and his wife Nisha were living just outside of Richmond, and they did pretty much everything together. They were both chiropractors, owned their own practice, and they'd go out on date nights, then rock, paper, scissors for who would DD and drive home. But then Manesh's wife got pregnant, and he freaked out a little. His idyllic life felt thrown off balance like the not-so-iconic 1988 horror film Phantom of Death, originally released on VHS in the UK with the title Off Balance. At that time, I was like, this is terrible timing. Hmm. We're not situated well enough yet financially to have a child into it. And all those messages that he was the guy who'd have to be responsible for the family came flooding back. My parents, you know, were first-generation immigrants into the country, and when I was growing up, there was always a lot of talk of money and a lack of money. 
Manesh grew up in low-income housing. His mom worked retail, his dad blue-collar manufacturing. Money was always tight. I mean, there was not even hand-me-downs. There was just the same pair of sweatpants for two to three days in a row, and everyone notices. So I started working as soon as I could and became the third income, you know, in the house. And so all of this is on your mind when you're thinking about having your own kid. Yes. I just didn't want my child to feel the pressure of knowing that we were not on sound economic ground. But Manesh had a plan to get them there. He and Nisha were going to build their own chiropractor clinic instead of leasing office space. And Manesh thought when he owned this building, he could be that provider he wanted to be. You own a building and your own home, you're passing generational wealth Hmm. onto your kid. That would be a legacy. And so you directly tied like financial stability for your kid with this building? Yes. Yeah, very much so. It was all set. Manesh got things rolling, took out a construction loan, and hired a contractor. Our daughter was born, Layla was born, July 14th of 2008. Um, I took a week off, and then when I came back, I could see that things were really starting to halt on the bank's side. Whenever their contractor Joe completed work, the bank was supposed to pay him. So Manesh called them up to figure out what was going on, and the bank said, something's off with your contractor. Joe was asking for larger sums of money. So if he put it in a sink, he was asking for 50K. Mm. Okay. And the bank figured out that something's not right here. The bank said the amount of money Joe was asking for didn't line up with the work he was doing. So Manesh brought it up to Joe, who was super nice about it. He told Manesh, there's probably something wrong on the bank's end. Manesh didn't mention it to his wife, Nisha. He didn't want to bother her. Then the bank froze payments. All of a sudden, Manesh couldn't get in touch with Joe to get any answers. It was like the 1988 Dutch horror film, The Vanishing. He wasn't returning my phone calls. And when he finally called me back, I remember yelling at the top of my lungs, you work for me, I don't work for you. Joe kept saying, this is not my fault. The bank kept saying, Joe's up to no good. And Manesh had no idea what was going on. Still, he kept it to himself, thinking he'd figure it out. So Manesh lawyered up, and then things escalated quickly. Joe pretty much disappeared, and a sheriff showed up at Manesh's office. He handed me this form that said you were being served. The subcontractors, like the roofer and the electrician, were suing Manesh. They said Joe hadn't paid them. And since Manesh was in charge, that money was now his responsibility like $72,000. That's how much Joe hadn't paid that. Joe had gone from harmless charmer to a monster, like an American werewolf in London, 1981. And Manesh's bank said, until everything got sorted out, they wouldn't pay for any more work on the building, no matter who the contractor was. Every day, Manesh dealt with the chaos, but he still wasn't telling his wife anything. In the past, he and Nisha had talked about everything. My wife was going through some postpartum depression. So to add more stress to everything else that was going on just seemed like if I could do one thing as a husband and a father, it'd be to kind of suck it up and leave that out. But then it seems like that meant you were kind of shouldering all of this by yourself. Yeah, I was internalizing a lot of it. Every day, Manesh felt like something was sitting on his chest, and he couldn't tell Nisha about it. Think Silence of the Lambs, but just silence. I'd come home and she'd ask me about my day. I'd be like, everything's great, you know? She'd ask where the building was. I'm like, oh, yeah, things are moving along. And I'd just shake it off. I wanted to talk to her, but I didn't want her to lose sleep. 
but Manesh definitely was. At night, he'd lie in bed, his heart pounding. It was like the priest said, any bad luck or poor decisions would be his fault. But he told himself he'd fight through it. Just saying, okay, well, I can handle this, I can handle this, I can handle this. If I have one thing to do, it's get this building done. And she doesn't need to know how the sausage is made. But during the time, I could imagine it felt like living this like dual existence or something. Definitely a dual existence. Miserable at work and smiley face at home. And then one day, the guy who did the drywall on the building called up Manesh. He was angry about not getting paid. And he wasn't just talking about a lawsuit. This gentleman actually threatened to throw me and my daughter and my wife out on the street. And he used my actual address. And he used Layla's name, which was, that was, I think, the part that really shook me. This felt like the last straw. Manesh had thought he could do it alone, but he couldn't. He wasn't sure where to turn. Until a few weeks later, Manesh and Nisha went to visit her parents. My mom-in-law just looks at me and says, is everything all right? Just the way she said it and the tenor when she said it, and I just broke down crying. Oh, wow. And... Sorry, need a second. <laughs> I think a lot of it was, I had been kind of humping it for, you know, nine, ten months at that point. Just kind of hit my breaking point. Fighting back tears, Manesh told his in-laws everything. And sharing it, just letting other people in, made it all feel a little better. So when his father-in-law said he'd help in any way he could, Manesh took him up on it. Manesh called his lawyer, who said, Actually, there is one way forward. He said, and the way to do that is to put money into an escrow account for the amount that you're being sued, basically. The court will allow you to move forward in building the building, and then that process, we can duke it out with everybody. And so Manesh took that message back to his in-laws. And, you know, there are different financial means than my parents. And they were there, like, within a day with the money to put in escrow. And that allowed me to release funds to a new contractor For two years, Manesh fought off all the lawsuits. In the process, he says he learned Joe had been using money from Manesh's job to pay subcontractors on another one, a robbing Peter to pay Paul situation. We spent well over $100,000 in lawyer's fees. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dad was like, wow, that's that's a kid's college fund. In June 2009, a full year after the building was originally supposed to be finished, Manesh got word it was finally done. And walking in there, it felt surreal. It didn't make my heart drop. (laughs) Because whenever I'd come and look at the building before that, my pulse would go through the roof. It was just really hard to be around it. Now he felt proud. But those bad feelings from the whole situation never totally went away. It felt like a hangover he couldn't shake. Manesh went to counseling and, he says, was diagnosed with PTSD from the whole experience. And a lot of that was because he kept it all to himself. I mean, I mean, it's so interesting, right? I think when we think about these ideas of masculinity, right? Yes. It's just kind of like, just smile and keep on going. Absolutely. You know, Asian Indian male, you know, you're supposed to take care of things. Um, and that's how you're raised. And that's, you know, the machismo involved there as well. Um, I think that was a lot of it. In hindsight, had I been more open with Nisha, we would have handled it together. And 
you know, years later, when the opportunity came to buy another office and start another office, we just knew we could do it together. They've actually expanded into five offices now. And Manesh knows things feel a little less scary when instead of shouldering it all, you let the right one in. Which is, yes, also the name of a 2008 Swedish horror film. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you want to share your own money horror story, we would love to hear it, no matter what time of the year it is. You can reach out to us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Also, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, you should. This week, we've got some recommendations from our team for horror movies, you know, in case Peter didn't give you enough, plus a recommendation for how to get a good night's sleep after said movies keep you up. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash newsletters. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Khreis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Ben Tolliday is our audio engineer. Star Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all soon. Um, what is it? Am I the only one? Is that how it it's, starts? Okay. What is it? Am I original? Oh, am I, am I that's the it. only one? That's am it. I sexual? Am, am I everything? I know this. Yeah. Am I sexual? Yeah. Am I everything you need? You'd better rock your body now. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>